Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories. A first-of-its-kind lawsuit was filed by an NFL coaching candidate against the league and several teams alleging racial discrimination. Next, a recent poll of young lawyers shows that most of them are considering quitting their current jobs and a decent chunk are considering getting out of the practice altogether. And growing frequency of climate disasters is forcing the insurance industry to adapt. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first, the NFL was rocked this week by a lawsuit filed by former Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores, seeking class certification and alleging that the league turned a blind eye to discriminatory hiring processes of teams across the league. Now, some background on Flores. He was hired in 2019 as head coach of Miami Dolphins and took over a pretty bad team, if any of you are football fans. The first year they went 5-11, and but improved to 10-6 and in his second year and finished this past season at 9-8. and All in all, he was considered to be a pretty decent coach as evidence of him turning around a bad team into a playoff contender in only a second season. Nonetheless, he was fired by Miami after this year with Dolphins owner Stephen Ross saying he didn't see the progress he wanted to see in the final season, despite Flores coaching the Dolphins to a seven-game win streak to close out the season. On the issue of how much the Dolphins owner actually wanted to win while Flores was the coach, let's put a pin in that for now. We'll come back to it. So Flores was out and was seen as commentators as a highly qualified coach to take on a head coaching position in the league. The NFL has adopted what is called the Rooney Rule, named after the family that owns the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Roonies, who were first implemented. The Rooney Rule was implemented about 20 years ago and requires that teams at least interview one diverse candidate for coaching positions when they are open before a decision is made. Black coaches throughout the NFL have often complained that the interviews are sham interviews and that they weren't taken seriously during the interview and point to the fact that there are hardly any black NFL coaches at all, despite the fact that 70% of the league's players are black. So back to Flores. He had an interview scheduled with the New York Giants on January 26th and 27th of this year, However, shortly before those interviews, Flores had received text messages from Bill Belichick, of all people, mistakenly congratulating him for getting the Giants' head coach job. Turns out that Belichick was meaning to text another Brian, Brian DeBull, who apparently the Giants had settled on before Flores was even interviewed and importantly had disclosed this information to parties like Belichick. So, as he alleges in his complaint, Flores had to sit through an interview process for a job that he already knew was going to someone else. In short, a sham interview. The lawsuit also accuses the Broncos' management in 2019 of showing up either extremely hungover or potentially still drunk for an interview, which was, as Flores alleges, a clear sign that they weren't taking his candidacy seriously. In some, Flores alleges he was basically brought into these two teams only to satisfy the Rooney rule and he was never given a fair shot in the spirit of the rule. Flores also alleges he was fired from Miami in part because he refused to throw games at the request of ownership, which is interesting given the comments from ownership about Flores' record. In his complaint, Flores alleges that Dolphins owners actually offered him $100,000 per game to lose so as to improve the Dolphins' draft position. Basically, they were paying him to tank. Flores allegedly refused to lose on purpose, seemingly understanding that whatever payout he got from the owners, he would be nonetheless blamed 
uh, for the losses in the eyes of the fans and other teams, therefore harming his future prospects. Everyone involved has, of course, denied the allegations, and Flores allegedly remains in the running for coaching positions with the New Orleans Saints. Still, he is putting it all on the line here, speaking out about something that there have been rumors of for years. The Rooney Rule was put in place not necessarily to just combat explicit discrimination, but also implicit biases. Basically, you have to give diverse candidates at least a shot to plead their case in an interview before you make a decision. Just having the interview and not really listening is not in compliance with the spirit of the rule, which is what the Giants and Broncos allegedly did to Flores. Whether the lawsuit will be successful or not, I have no idea. But in my humble opinion as a fan, Flores is actually a pretty good coach who turned around a pretty bad Dolphins team and turned them into a playoff contender. So a lot of teams are probably missing out by skipping over him. Up next, young attorneys are burning out at an astounding rate, many of whom are seeking to leave the practice altogether, according to the International Bar Association and as reported by Law.com. Having surveyed 3,000 associates under the age of 40, the International Bar Association, or IBA, found that 54% of them were actively seeking to leave their current jobs by the year 2027. 33% responded they wanted to switch to a different area of law, but even more strikingly, 20%, a full one-fifth of lawyers surveyed under the age of 40, said they want to leave the profession altogether by 2027. Some other numbers here, 70% of respondents under the age of 25, which would really only include lawyers with a handful of years or even months of experience, to be fair, said that a major concern about their jobs was a lack of work-life balance, which all of us know doesn't get better after you turn 25. As the salary wars continue at big law firms with all of them scrapping for talent, salary was nonetheless cited by respondents as the largest factor pushing them out of their current jobs, but was also cited as the factor most responsible for attracting those lawyers into a new position, the survey findings said. There's also data about the desire to remain remote or at least partially remote with over half of respondents agreeing that at least a partial remote arrangement was best. My take is that in general, this hot labor market for young lawyers has been fueled at least in some part by a lack of social cohesion in offices, which is exacerbated by the pandemic. Business psychologists will say that leaving your job is difficult and sometimes a traumatic experience, so there's an element of stickiness that keeps people in their current roles, even if they're wondering whether the grass is greener somewhere else. However, going into year three of pandemic conditions, where your only real attachment to the office is maybe emails or Zoom calls, I don't think many young lawyers have that element of cohesion. The funny coworker to chat with when you need a break, the nice admin that always says good morning, etc., And I'm certainly not knocking remote work. I mostly work remotely myself these days. But until that social cohesion comes back, I think all remote becomes a bit more transactional. And if that's all it is, if you're just trading your time and brain power for a paycheck, there's going to be a lot of movement in the market among lawyers, especially young ones who haven't developed any ties to their firms except for the expectation of the paycheck. For our last story, I'll just read the headline to you rather than come up with my own because it's a doozy. 
Relentless catastrophes push insurance industries to change is the headline of a recent Law 360 report. According to the report, insurers and lobbyists are revisiting some of their risk calculations in light of increased frequency of weather disasters in the United States and abroad. Reports show that insured damage from weather events is somewhere between 120 and 145 billion per year. Experts told Law 360 that they are expecting major industry changes, including dropping certain coverages altogether. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration spokesperson and climatologist Adam Smith said that the level of disasters in the past few years in the U.S. were considered a standout from a historical perspective, describing 2021 as a year where, quote, we have high frequency, a high cost, and large diversity of extreme events that affect people's lives and livelihoods, unquote. Smith went on to discuss how climate change is impacting, how frequently and how severe weather events were happening. He specifically cites to wildfires and floods, which occur somewhat regularly under normal circumstances, but are growing in their severity over the past few years. German insurer Munich Re said in 2021 that it was the second costliest year in insurance history ever, caused in part by hurricanes in the U.S. and flooding in Europe. The report is, quote, a reminder that if you put this in a longer context, that we are living in times that insured losses and economic losses are more or less constantly increasing, said Ernest Rouse, the reinsurer's chief climate and geoscientist. He told Law360 that the report is intended to create awareness, not impact insurance pricing. So in the U.S., we had tropical storms like Hurricane Ida, tornadoes in the Midwest, and the deep freeze in Texas over this past year. Roush said that the re repeated and increasing disasters raises the question of who should pay for the gap between uninsured and insured losses. Insurers, on their part, are responding by upping deductibles and sublimits on policies as risks have increased. Policy advocates worry that insurers may add exclusions to policies for climate-related losses, which would leave policyholders holding the bag in an event of a fire or a tornado or a flood or a hurricane, etc., now, executives from large companies are reporting to Law 360 that they expect to be increasing their purchases of insurance to protect against climate events that they deem as likely to increase as well. At the regulatory level, state and federal officials are at least discussing these issues, looking to bolster the U.S.'s crumbling infrastructure, and there's been federal legislation already in that regard. States like California, Connecticut, New York, and Washington are working with insurers to attempt to curb the use of carbon in certain industries that the insurers may insure. On the central question, which is the resiliency of U.S. infrastructure, the report states, quote, FEMA wants to pay once rather than pay flood losses in the same location. It's best to resolve the issue now, and local agencies are becoming aware of that opportunity. Rather than spending money to reimburse for terrible flood losses, let's think about this from an Army Corps of Engineers standpoint to mitigate losses going forward, unquote. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is tasked to look at natural and nature-based solutions like wetlands, reefs, combination of both with rock and concrete for projects to reduce risks for flood-prone areas. So what's the takeaway here from a legal perspective? Well, first-party property claims are likely to increase with climate change, which means increases in coverage litigation. Liability claims for structure failure are likely to increase as well. And I think the overall lesson is, whether you like it or not, climate change will trickle its way down to your sector one way or the other. 
Thanks, everyone. That's the show for this week. Reminder, you can find us everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Go ahead and drop a like, uh, subscribe. We appreciate the reviews as well. Reminder that new episodes drop every Tuesday. If you're subscribed, you'll get a notification. That way you won't miss us. Otherwise, I've been Jack. You've been awesome. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.